welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson. And I'm your co-host, Apurva Desai. So, Emily, we have two people from my field today that I'm really excited to talk to. And I hope you learn more about uh, the field. Do you know the field of health promotion? I know that you're in it, and I know... Uh, very roughly what you do just from chatting, but I would love to hear more. And I'm very excited to have our two guests here today. So welcome to the show, Mani Alawalia and Varsha Vasudevian. Thanks for being on. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So why don't you both tell us very briefly, one at a time, <laughs> about what it is that you are doing in the field of health promotion? Um, I can start. So I'm a second year master's student in health promotion, um, as Apurva mentioned. My area of focus right now for my master's thesis is a lot on EDID, which is equity, diversity, inclusion, and decolonization research. Uh, specifically, my thesis is focusing on the relationship between Ontario undergraduate university students' experiences of diversity and inclusion and their levels of resilience. And my name is Barsha, like was mentioned, and I'm a first year PhD student in the field of health promotion. And we look at the influences of mindfulness-based programs on graduate student well-being. And that's sort of the broad um, description. And the specific outcomes that we look at are self-reported perceived stress levels, self-awareness, social connectedness, um, interpersonal skills, perfectionism, self-esteem, and academic self-efficacy. So a whole uh, suite of things that uh, really do contribute and are interrelated to uh, graduate student well-being and success. Thank you. Um, before we dive more into your research, do you want to tell us um, how do you uh, how would you define health promotion and what does health mean to you? Yeah, so I'll start. Um, health and health promotion, I think, is for me at least a very holistic and social kind of aspect or approach to health, not typically what you see in like a biomedical model. It's very different in terms of looking at a big picture. And a lot of times we talk about social and personal determinants of health. So what's outside of an individual and their environment that may be causing certain health challenges or problems that they may be facing. Um, so taking, again, a very broad model and also an intersectional approach as well of different things like a person's income, um, their family, their education, um, and factors like that, just to name a few things. Um, and then health promotion is, of course, then how do we address certain challenges knowing all of this information and how can we promote uh, people's health and well-being, uh, whether that be their physical health, their mental health, their other challenges. I totally agree with everything that Mani said. I think one thing I would add is health promotion really is a lifestyle. And that is sort of in this like operationalized um, definition uh, developed by um, the World Health Organization. And it's a lifestyle and it's about how can we make the easier choice, sorry, the healthier choice, the easier choice um, and apply that to the various dimensions of our life. So it's an ongoing process, but um, a very worthwhile one. That's really cool. And actually, I'm since you guys said that, I'm realizing I think I know less about health promotion than I thought, because again, I thought it was going to be something like 
vaccines are important. We should get them. Getting enough sleep. And so kind of holistic, but not as much as you guys were saying. One thing that really jumped out when you described your research was that it seemed to weigh a lot about mental health as well. And like, and that's obviously a huge part of our, our whole entire health. But is that something, I don't know if you guys know this, but how new is that? Like, is the field of health promotion and the focus on mental health or EDID, is that something that's relatively new at Western or maybe in general? Like, is that something that uh, there's a, re a renewed focus on in the current kind of culture? Yeah, great question on that as well. I feel like when we discuss mental health specifically, not entirely new. I think it's been something that's definitely been around for the last 10-ish years, but still definitely in the most recent years, there's more focus on it, specifically in the research context and even in the classroom, even in within Faculty of Health Sciences, for example, at Western, which we're both a part of, um, with courses not really back in the day focusing on mental health, and it was really just a physical health aspect of it. Uh, but now in more recent years, I did my undergrad at Western too, so I've been exposed to it a lot more than I feel like other students may have before then. Uh, EDID specifically, as you mentioned as well, that's very new. And a lot of things that I found through my research too, is that it's 2020, I guess, was sort of the peak of the introduction to equity, diversity, inclusion in institutional practices. Of course, it was around before starting to emerge, but the focus didn't really start until very recently in the last like five years or so. I would say like it felt like we were being tested um, on the course material that Moni <laughs> um, where the timeline is quite important and just like Moni said, it's been around for a while and it has like ebbed and flowed. And I think uh, the recent pandemic has really brought it back uh, to the forefront in terms of mental health. I think um, I like uh, access mental health um, through mindfulness um, and my research on mindfulness. And I know that field has been around also for quite some time, at least a few decades um, in research. And so we also know that mindfulness has never been more popular and what I mean by that is like the the search trends from like let's say the 2000s to now in the last 24 years um it's grown exponentially and positively so um even though it's been around for a while it's kind of becoming um more maybe accessible but also um more people are interested in learning more about it yeah thank you thank you for sharing um how would you say each of your research fits into that um, holistic health approach. Yeah, so with resilience specifically, that's something that I look at. And resilience is essentially how a person bounces back in the face of stress or adversity. Um, and again, it, there are very strong connections with resilience and well-being um, in various different aspects because the way that you, of course, deal with stress and cope with certain things does impact your overall health and well-being. Um, so in terms of looking at it at a holistic approach, I feel like that's really part of it, but then also making this connection with EDID and resilience and well-being, I think takes into consideration these external and environmental factors. So how does a person's environment and their interactions with others essentially impact their well-being? Um, so with students' experiences of diversity and this presence of diversity we have at university, but also the way that they interact with others of different um, identities uh, and their diverse peers and how that impacts their well-being at school but they're also like academic success for example and again resilience at the end of the day and the way that they deal with certain challenges 
but also that aspect of inclusion where, yes, we have diversity at school, but are students really feeling included or do they have a sense of belonging and how does that impact their resilience? And a lot of times it comes back to social support being a big aspect of this as well, where if students feel included through social support, through friends or family or peers, um, they're more likely to be resilient and being able to deal with challenges because they have this sense of inclusion to fall back on. Regarding my research, um, mindfulness really is, and this is sort of the, the operationalized definition, it's the awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment and not judgmentally. So it really is just being exactly where you are, um, kind of keeping your thoughts limited to what's um, happening at, in the present moment. And that's a skill that really takes time to develop. Um, it's not uncommon to only be able to feel mindful um, for a few seconds when you're just starting out. Um, and there are various ways to, um, to bring yourself to this awareness. And so the way I put it is you have this like mental health toolkit that um, consists of various strategies that will help you um, ideally bolster your mental health. And there are several mindfulness strategies which you can add to your toolkit. And it's not necessarily a one size fits all. There are some strategies or practices um, that do resonate with people and some others um, find less helpful. So it's about kind of maybe testing out what's out there uh, seeing how it can fit in your life and how it makes you feel um, with this like end goal of ideally being more mindful. And um, I think that's how it contributes to this sort of like health promotion. Um, and uh, thinking back to my definition of it being a lifestyle, um, it's sort of something you kind of return to as you need it uh, over the course of your lifetime. Hmm, that's really interesting. Okay, I've thought of questions for each of you. So I'm going to ask them one at a time. <laughs> so Mani, I'll ask my question for you to you first. So you talked about resilience and how it's bouncing back from from a problem. So that makes me think about the variation in both what kind of problems you're having to bounce back from, and then also the variation in where you're starting from, because it seems like all students or even all people are going to be starting at a baseline level of how well they're doing, how well their mm -hmm. mental health is. And if they have a struggle, they're going to move back. And so can you talk a bit about how that variation plays into your research, both within how bad the thing is they have to come back from and then also where they start from in the beginning? For sure. Uh, there's definitely different levels of resilience. And that's why I decided to do my research in this way of not grouping together an entire population, for example, undergraduate students, because in a lot of times in the research that I've come across, it sort of just assumes that all undergraduate university students are starting off from one place. But we understand that that's not the case because even just four of us here when we were in undergrad, um, that transition from high school to university looked very different from each of us. Um, so our resilience was not at the same level when we all started uh, because of the way our lifestyles might have been beforehand or our peer groups or our family dynamics and all of that stuff. And again, with mental health challenges or something else that someone else could have been facing that would have impacted their resilience accordingly as well. So I think taking that into account is very important. And that's why we're also um, collecting a lot of demographic information along with resilience levels and these like quantitative things um, to also understand different demographic factors that are associated with resilience levels. So again, a person's identity, their culture, gender identity, um, all these different things, but then also 
like what university they're going to there are they employed are they working part-time full-time and all of these things definitely impacted so it's again a starting point is different but then also your entire experience throughout your undergrad is very different and it doesn't look the same for everyone so all of these things are really important to take into account Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like multifactorial like there's so much going on but it sounds like yeah you're getting a lot of those things that's awesome my question for Varsha is you talked about mindfulness and I know that's becoming more prevalent like we know about meditation we know about taking a walk and just being and not always being on your phone and that kind of thing and you talked about how that's so important for self-reported stress and self-awareness social connectedness example or etc so my question is how do you measure all of those things? So self-reported stress kind of makes sense, right? Like how stressed do you feel? You can do a survey, but self-awareness, how do you measure how self-aware someone is or their social connectedness? Like, it seems like these are really complicated things. How do you go about figuring out how mindfulness relates to these things and seeing if it, if it increases them? That is also a great question. Um, I'll speak to maybe my master's research, uh, which I think will help, um, inform my answer. So with my master's research, we did a pilot study using a particular mindfulness-based program called the Mindfulness Ambassador Program. And we offered it to grad students at Western and uh, we looked at similar outcomes. So it was still self-reported stress, self-awareness, social connectedness, and interpersonal skills. So um, a few of the ones that I'll be looking at um, for my PhD. And we used a mixed method study for this. Um, one, it was a pilot study, so it kind of made sense to get more data out of uh, a fewer number of participants. But you're right that these are uh, pretty abstract constructs that um, they would vary from person to person, uh, probably quite significantly. But um, we, um, you know, kind of upped the rigor of this data collection by using validated scales that um, have been previously validated in um, graduate or university students. So um, we gave them a survey to do uh, before they started this program and uh, immediately afterwards, but we also did one-on-one -on -one interviews with them. So they did these surveys and each of those four um, uh, constructs I mentioned, they had a separate scale for, um, for each. And then um, that was all contained in one survey. And we did parity tests to sort of uh, see if there was a difference between uh, the two time points. And then these interviews really allowed us to get um, into the experiences that they had and what self-awareness changes may have looked like for each person was quite different. Um, and so it made the qualitative sort of analysis very interesting because while the way they may have experienced these things are very different, um, you can kind of group them into these umbrella ideas. Pretty cool. I like it. So um, what, what's really interesting is that your population is students. And, um, you know, um, how did you both uh, come across this population? Did you always have an interest in studying students? And um, what is it like to do research with students? How do you design, you know, what, what are things to keep in mind for someone working with students? Um, for me, I did in my undergrad in my fourth year, an independent study with my supervisor, who is my supervisor now. Um, and I looked at uh, the relation, it was a scoping review. So the relationship uh, between resilience and mental health or mental well-being in undergraduate students. 
and what is known about this information or what's out there. Um, and that was just at the time as well, being an undergraduate student myself, this was obviously very interesting to me. And I think it's always, for me at least, more interesting to focus on a population that you relate to where it's like close to home. And this research, I feel like you see the effects of it firsthand. Um, so that's always, I think, interesting or a point of something that I always want to focus on. So again, just taking off of that independent study and scoping review is what led me to choose my master's thesis topic of finding out all of this information about undergraduate students, but then what are these gaps? And um, again, I found that it kind of lumps all of these people together, but me again, having this undergraduate student experience, understanding that mine was very different from my friends, for example, just in a small group. And obviously that probably varied um, in different ways throughout just people in a classroom, for example, and everyone came from different places. So understanding those gaps and seeing them firsthand, but then also taking that to the literature and finding out what's there really helped. Um, and I think you also posed a great question about what it's like working with a student population. Um, in my opinion, it's been really interesting, again, being on campus. And a lot of times I was looking at Ontario as a whole, um, but just having this reach to Western University and um, being able to do announcements in classrooms and kind of like having that firsthand connection of like knowing what clubs are there and stuff like that. I feel like for me, that was just an advantage point um, in certain ways because I, again, you have firsthand familiarity with this population. So I think that's always good. Um, it also poses some challenges in terms of keeping your biases in check and being aware of them as well and making sure that that doesn't impact your research in any way. So that's why going to the literature and using that and using the evidence that's there rather than posing your own beliefs in there is very important as well. But some things that I've obviously learned throughout the last two years, for sure, if that answers your question. Yes, yes. Um, I have a very similar experience. I've always just been a graduate student studying graduate students. And it's been so interesting, like doing my master's research on graduate students and like now having finished a master's entering my PhD, um, while they're all kind of lumped under this graduate student experience, like where I started two years ago feels so different from how I feel right now. And I think just having read a lot of research about the experiences of masters and PhD students, but then also the experiences of the participants from my master's research, um, I find that I'm able to really intimately relate to um, these experiences. And that poses an interesting um, challenge for me in terms of like positionality and reflexivity as a researcher. Like Mani said, not letting my biases come in, but, um, you know, still, uh, still trying to, well, absolutely keeping my research as rigorous as possible. And for my um, master's qualitative interviews, we did peer debriefing, which is like another step to make sure I wasn't misconstruing um, what was being said. Member checking is another tool we use. But um, I think it's been a real privilege to be able to support graduate students as like, you know, I know firsthand how challenging it can be. Um, but it has, it has also been kind of validating knowing that like, you know, the research shows that a lot of graduate students face similar challenges. Um, which is is unfortunate and disheartening for sure. Like graduate students contribute so much to the institution as like researchers and teaching assistants and obviously as students ourselves. So um, it really has been a privilege to be able to do work to support graduate students. Um, 
and be able to see some of those impacts in real time. Um, like I said, with my master's, it was a small pilot study that was um, six weeks in length. So just even, um, you know, seeing these interviews or doing these interviews and hearing how participants felt like it felt very like um, I was very grateful to have that experience. That's awesome. And I, this actually makes me think of a follow-up question. So in a way you're kind of studying yourselves, right? Because you are, you've been undergrad students, you're grad students now. So like for my research, like I study birds, like nothing, really nothing that I find is going to apply to my own life directly. But do both of you find that your findings at school, like your research findings, do you find they have direct application to yourself? Like, do you see, oh, this is a good mindfulness thing. I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> Does that actually come up that you see a direct effect on your own life? I think they may be like underscored that like, yes, I'm doing the right thing. I think um, it kind of went the other way for me. Like I started to become interested in mindfulness myself in 2020 um, which kind of led me to like want to pursue this um, as a study and research more about it. Um, so it, it's kind of like that was like the instigating kind of force. And then the research I've been doing has like kind of fueled that momentum for me. So I think it's kept me like invested, like um, clearly I've done two years of this and I'm about to do four more. So uh, I feel like that's what has helped me keep going. Um, I have a very similar experience as well of throughout my undergrad being interested in just the experiences of equity deserving students and identifying as one myself and recognizing the changes that need to be made at institutional levels for undergraduate students and improving everyone's experiences. Um, so I think taking that into my research itself has just been very meaningful. And again, speaking to undergrad students like firsthand through focus groups and interviews, um, and you see themes come out that you've actually experienced yourself. And it's so impactful, I think, to um, hear it firsthand that other people are obviously still having these experiences, although unfortunate, very important and meaningful for this research because we can take it and it feels like you can finally do something about it. Um, so I think that's just been a big thing for me as well. Um, and yeah, again, just echoing what said as well, it's just very helpful to kind of see the impact that you're making and know that this is meaningful and important. So it kind of keeps you going as well and acts as that motivation to carry forward. So we we learned about your research and um, thank you so much for sharing uh, those uh, experiences. How was your experience with the program that you're in? Um, I'll start with this one again. I had such a great experience over the last two years. I think definitely coming from already being at Western, just having this sense of familiarity with the university and just the program itself as well. But I think all, anything that I can credit this to goes to my supervisor for sure, because I think she definitely made my entire experience. And I won't speak for Varsha, but I know she'll definitely agree when I say this, that I think just um, like our supervisor's patience and integrity and the way that she has taught us so much, has made the program. It could have been like such a bad experience, for example, but it definitely wasn't because of her. But I think the overall, the program and the supports that are in place and just um, having this sort of sense of belonging within a program, because I feel like people in health promotion as well, it's nice to connect to other people and we can connect on our research and places like 
um, HRS conference, for example, that's something that our program holds and just having a space where you can interact with other students in the field, whether they're doing their master's or PhD and have that connectedness is so important. But then again, talking to your supervisor about it after and she's like encouraging you and rooting for you. I think that just is the best thing ever. Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything Moni said. I think it's so interesting, like being a thesis-based graduate student, because the structure is so different, like like program to program, but also sometimes supervisor to supervisor. And I hope, and I know all of us on the call um, know this, and hopefully anyone listening knows that the supervisor student fit is like one of the most important considerations for like success in um, sorry graduate school. And so I started in the lab that I'm still in, in the second year of my undergrad and like, you know, 19 year old Varsha would have wanted to do like a master's of public health. And like, I had a very different trajectory um, in mind at that time. And then I got involved with research and it feels like the rest is history. So I think that I have really leaned into my um interests and like while that has been like scary at times because there's so much to learn with research um and a, a lot of it unfortunately can be trial and error at times um knowing that i'm studying a, a research question and a topic that uh, is important to me but i also feel like i have ownership over um which is a product of like my supervisor being willing to like take into take into consideration my ideas and like what i want to study um, that's been huge. And like this program also like allows for that. Um, so I think that's been a really big, um, that's been a key component of sort of my, uh, positive experience. That's awesome. That's it. You guys both bring up a great point about how important the supervisor is to your, uh, your success in your degree, because yeah, like you're going to be working with this person for between maybe two to six years, if you do a master's and PhD back to back, and that's a big amount of your life. So it's very important to make sure that, that you find the right fit and what's good for you. That's great to hear. Uh, I guess, so we're approaching the end of the interview, not quite there yet, but one of the, the last questions I want to ask is what advice would you give to undergrads or grads based on your research about resilience, mindfulness? What would you want to tell them and say, I've done the research. This is what you need to know to be the most successful as possible. What would you, what would you want to say? And I know that's a huge question <laughs> and you're not even finished all the research yet, but what would you, what would you say to that? I can jump in with this one. Um, so something that like I say to people when I'm trying to get them to understand what mindfulness is, because um, unfortunately there all are some like um, incorrect assumptions about what mindfulness entails. And so the example I use is imagine like you're in high school and you're like cramming for a test, like you're standing outside the door that you need to go into for your test and you're holding the textbook up and you're just trying to shove in as much information you can at the very last second. If I asked you six months later, like what you were studying outside that door, like you probably wouldn't remember because it was just like, it was not really consolidated there. And so I think that's the same thing with mindfulness. Like we hear about it all the time and you may not know exactly how to execute it. You may not know what strategies work for you. So all I ask of people is just to try it. There are like an abundance of resources online and most of them are free. And I, I do really encourage these free ones. I don't think you need to spend money to, to practice mindfulness and just see what works. There are guided meditations, body scans, gratitude. Um, there are so many different ways to like practice mindfulness. 
And so when it comes to a moment where you feel like you really could use that maybe, you know, comfort or support that mindfulness can offer and is very well evidenced, um, this the evidence is there to support that mindfulness can help in various aspects of your life, for example, with stress, um, then you'll probably be thankful that you had been practicing this skill um, because just like anything else, it takes time to kind of develop that skill. And um, I'm hoping people are willing to try it even when they're not sort of in those moments where they really need it so that when they do need it, it's within reach and accessible. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it really did. That's really good advice. Great points. Barsha, I'll jump on in a different direction with resilience and EDI again, um, just based on things that I found. And um, I, my biggest advice, I guess, for undergrad students, especially starting off in a new environment where you might not know what you're doing and you're surrounded by all these people who you don't know, um, come in with an open mind and be open to learning. And I think you can learn a lot by the people that you surround yourself with. And um, whether it's just more about the world or more about yourself, I think having important conversations and not being afraid to reach out to people who you might not normally hang out with, um, I think is very important and getting out of your comfort zone in that sense as well. Um, again, good and positive experiences of diversity and inclusion are positively correlated to your resilience. Um, so again, hopefully finding social support that's out there and finding a good group of friends is so important and it'll definitely help you and your success in your undergrad. Um, and don't be afraid if you don't find it right away. I know first year is very challenging um, just with everything else that our students are facing. Um, but there are good people out there and you'll find them. And hopefully in the next couple of years, if the good adequate support isn't there for you right now, I'm hoping that we're advocating for it enough that it will be and um, your needs will be met in the way that you want them to. Thank you both so much for coming on GradCast. We are out of time. So I will just say that I've learned a lot and it's been really awesome to hear about your research. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, it was great to talk about our research and um, thank you for having us on. All right. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson. My co-host was Apoorva Desai. We've been speaking with Mani Aluwalia and Varsha Vasudevan. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. If you want to be involved with the show, you can visit us at gradcast.sogs.ca. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM, and you can find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>